Welcome to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. I think it's time for Chasing the Word. We're in the book of Philemon again. Welcome back to the microphone. Thank you. It's great to be here. We have a Bible study we publish every week. We do these Chasing the Word series. We did Jude last. We've done the book of Acts. We've done the book of John. We've done the book of Ecclesiastes over the years past. And the Bible study that we present to you has a certain format. I Mm -hmm. want you to go through that real quickly and explain what people can get for free just by downloading them at our website. Okay. We put it in a certain order. So it is familiar every time you use it. And that way, it's not something that you have to think really hard about how to use it. It's very simple. We typically have the scripture first, and then we'll have a series of questions. And there's always a little spot that says, explain the context. It is a great way to look at the scripture as a whole and go through the basic themes that you find there and write them out and then, you know, go deeper into thinking about those things. Explain the context means what do you, the reader, see is going on in the scripture? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's being written to somebody by somebody. And it takes a little bit of imagination to put yourself in the sandals of somebody who's been living, you know, almost 2,100 years ago. Nonetheless, the Bible invites us into the story, Mm -hmm. and that context is something that you have to personally envision. One of the things that we've always encouraged our listeners to do is to put yourself in the place of where the story is happening. You know, those of us who don't have a real broad, expansive imagination kind of in that sense. Or haven't been challenged to. Or haven't been challenged to. Have a little more difficult time with that. But it is a great place to understand what was going on with the people that the verses that we are reading were written to. We have to think about real people. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference you and I have sitting across from the table from each other is that I see you and I believe you're alive <laughs> and <laughs> talking to me from a living body. It's not a hard thing to conclude because we're in the same room together in the same context. Mm-hmm. We look at things from the New Testament even, which is the most recent parts of the Bible that we have, we still see them as paintings. You go to a cathedral and see some great work of art from even three or four hundred years ago. Even that seemed remote to us. But that was a depiction of something they imagined happening a thousand or more years before them. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly this kind of conversation that you and I have across the table has become some kind of hard art. It's like crystallized. But that's not how the word works. The word is alive and is working in our hearts and through our hearts to each other to build the kingdom. And there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's everything right by putting ourselves back into an active conversation. Like when Jesus told the disciples, when they asked him, how do we pray, Lord? He said, well, pray like this. Watch my example. Mm -hmm. And then he gave an example, the Lord's Prayer. He didn't say, always pray the Lord's Prayer, because he didn't call it the Lord's Prayer. He said... This is the prayer you could use as a template. This is a good way to do it. And start with these principles. But you do the praying. Jesus was not saying, here, I gave you a script. Now read it every time you come together. It's become a tradition. And every Christian church I know of around the world uses the Lord's Prayer in some context, whether part of their liturgy or as a special occasion to remind us that Jesus himself prayed. Mm -hmm. All good. But it wasn't the end. It was just a drop in the bucket Mm -hmm. of what prayer was supposed to be. The point for these different parts of our grid are bring it back to life for you. Yeah. Learn to inhabit a living scripture, a living word. Mm -hmm. Then the rest of this grid has three other questions in it. Well, it says, what is the theme of these verses? What is the big idea that you're seeing across this passage of scripture? What is something that surprised you? 
about yeah. what you're reading. Well, you hadn't noticed before. You hadn't noticed before. And that comes with reading scripture with an open heart and an yeah. open mind. And not just the with Spirit the speak. eyes that are trained from having read it a certain way or in a certain translation all the time. Right. And then one of your favorite questions, what are these verses not saying? Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing for us to consider when we're reading scripture as well, because if you're like me and you've grown up in the church and you've grown up with a certain expectation of what scripture is already saying, and you don't have an open mind when you're reading scripture, you just read and you hear those voices of the pastors or preachers in the past saying what that scripture means, then... Or the title of their Or the title of their sermon. Yeah. Oftentimes, we just don't hear what it's not saying. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or we get one idea of what it can be saying, and that's it. Yes. But it is important for us to dispense with the things that we often can get confused by. Is this really a political statement? Is it something about personal communications within a family? You know, if it's not talking about this other thing, then we should let that go, not make the scripture be a proof text for something else it was not talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. So I do think it's important for us to boil down what's really going on here. And part of that is dispensing with what's not going yeah. on here. That's the way we approach all of our Bible studies. It's available as a download on every week's broadcast for Chasing the Word. We invite you to grab one yourself as a PDF, print it out, use it, mm-hmm. and play with it some. Figure out how this could be useful to you. The point of literary criticism, and a criticism does not mean being critical of something, but simply understanding, discerning what is there and what is not, requires us to explore questions, and therefore it becomes a lens. Now, a lens is something that brings into focus certain things and not others. Yes. You know, and that is the purpose of a lens, is to bring into focus the things you want to see or focus on right now. It's not the entire picture. It's not the only thing to see. But it is a way to help you see when everything else is so busy in the picture. Yeah. So we have a lens. And we chose uh, four or five different lenses for this study of Philemon based on the readings you and I were doing. And the first we addressed in last week's broadcast, and that had to do with kingdom identity and Mm -hmm. slavery. Mm -hmm. Slavery is all over this book because the person being addressed in this letter is a slave holder. And the person that is being talked about is a slave Right. And they have a legal relationship in the empire of Rome at the time that required them to adhere to certain rules of the society. But Paul starts talking about a higher allegiance and a higher responsibility we have to the kingdom. And all of that has to be pulled apart a bit and understood in its multiple layers. And why Paul himself finds an interest in this discussion. Right. He benefits in some ways from the relationship he has with both the slave and the slaveholder. Mm-hmm. It's often an easy thing just to say, oh, it's saying one thing, but it's not. He's dealing with multiple relationships. Talk about how that plays into your kingdom identity. If you find yourself in a certain station that someone else does not have or is not subject to, how does that affect how you interact with the kingdom? That's something very serious to take even today. Yeah, absolutely. The lens we're going to focus on today had to do with economics, Mm -hmm. the economy of the kingdom, the economy of God's wealth, of his provision, of the way he provides. I found references to economy in this letter all over it. 
I got through even to verse 8 and had like 10 different references already that mm-hmm. had economy. So we'll kind of take some of those verses as we go along and talk about what that means in God's economy. That's our lens for today. Well, I'm glad that you were able to find some things within the scripture that have to do with economy because I have to be really honest. When you brought that up to me, I thought the only thing I can see here that has to do with the economy is that this is a slave and he helps boost the economy with his work. <laughs> you know, So yeah, I'm eager to discuss the things with you that you found through the Fair scriptures. Enough. I'm reading from the New International Reader's Version, and even starting in verse 1, I, Paul, am writing this letter. He means that he's personally either dictating or writing it down. He wasn't just passing along notes, he just write a letter for me. I am a prisoner because of Christ Jesus. Our brother Timothy joins me in writing. Bingo. First verse, he's putting himself in a position of being a prisoner. There's a huge issue of economy around prisoners. Hmm. Even today, you know, we talk about in our own country that we have abolished slavery. And that's one of the hallmarks of the kind of country we aspire to be. We are not the kind of people that exploit others. And yet the Constitution explicitly excludes a certain kind of slavery from that liberation. Mm -hmm. And that is prisoners. If people are in prison for misdemeanor or felony, they can legally and constitutionally be exploited for their labor. They do not have to be paid. They do not accept or reject an offer of employment. If they are compelled by the state or the federal government to work for the benefit of the system or for the people at large, they are compelled to do so whether they like it or not. It is institutionalized slavery. This is true. We don't often think in terms of the reality that we have a legal system predicated on the exploitation of imprisoned labor. Well, it doesn't help that most of our prison systems are privatized. And there actually is a large movement in many states now to halt the end of exploiting prison labor. Like 150 years ago, they put an end to child labor and made child labor laws come into effect to make sure that kids could actually go to school until such time as they could legally make the choice to be employed and to use their labor for their own benefit Mm -hmm. and to negotiate with those who would hire them. That took... You know, 100 years of our history to get to the point where kids would be free of being exploited that way. Mm -hmm. And now they're beginning to use that same principle for those who are imprisoned. Because obviously nobody's in jail by will. Well, let me rephrase that. I think there are some people who choose to be in jail because it's the only environment they feel safe enough to function. But for the vast majority, they're not in prison because they chose to be there. They may have earned it, absolutely. They may have to stay in jail the rest of their lives because they're violent. Nonetheless, the reality is constitutionally, economically, in our society, we do make it possible for those who control prisoners to benefit from their labor. Mm -hmm. That's just in our country. Around the world, it is rampant, the idea of exploiting people through all kinds of slavery. And there is the underground slavery of sexual exploitation or importing laborers who work under the radar for the benefit of somebody who is keeping them in economic slavery. Well, we talked about that a little bit last week, too, the idea of slavery and what that looks like in modern day. So the economics such that one word prisoner has deep implications Mm -hmm. for what Paul is talking about. He is writing from the perspective of being a prisoner to a slaveholder, someone who can legally imprison somebody else for their labor. Well, and also, I think looking at the context of the prison system itself during that time, Mm -hmm. 
there was a lot of payments happening to mm-hmm. the guards right. to it was a graft to gain society. access to the prisoners. We read in Acts, Luke was always available to Paul as Paul was put in prison. Mm-hmm. Luke wasn't put in prison, right. but Paul was in prison, and Luke would go in and out to take care of him. I imagine that there was a lot of payment going on, so the economics of it all <laughs> yeah. were, you know, perpetuating through this. But probably less payments going on because of one reason. Paul and Luke were both Roman citizens. Roman citizens, So exactly. they had certain kinds of privileges and protections legally and had access to legal system the way those who were not citizens did not have access to. Right. So all kinds of nuances there. But yeah, I would say that they probably had to negotiate what does it mean to be respectful of God's resources and not play into this greed and graft system that most legal systems in the world have historically been, where you buy access to justice, which means no justice at all, really. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. Of course, there's nothing normal about our situation, but there's also nothing normal about the kind of faith and power we find in Jesus. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com. Or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. So what other verses throughout this chapter did you find that have to do with economics? Ah, verse 2. How about that one? Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. We're sending this letter to our sister Apthia and to Archippus. He is a soldier of Christ Jesus with us, and we are sending it to the church that meets in your home. Soldiers serve the state. It's an economy that the state puts a tax on the people to provide soldiers, provide protection. That all happens. So it goes to identity and what you do for a living. And if you're called to be a soldier and you accept that calling or you're conscripted and you have to serve for a time in your country's military, you serve the state. You serve all the people and you get paid for it. But at their discretion, you'll get to say, I want to negotiate for a pay raise here. You just know that this is what the law says you can get for your active duty or whatever else. You don't have any say in it. Paul is identifying him as a soldier for Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's saying in some ways it is analogous to being a soldier under a government where you don't have any say anymore. So there's something about this idea of being a prisoner, being a soldier, being outside of your personal agency to make decisions. And he's identifying people in the kingdom as being kind of like this. The good part of the story, of course, is that in the kingdom, we're identifying that we have a benevolent dictator. We have a God whose interest is always for us, never against us, and never selfish. The only benevolent dictator that can ever be is going to be God himself. Mm -hmm. 
we may see that as being capricious and we don't know why he's doing what he's doing and we don't trust him. But it doesn't change the fact that God himself says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good father. I am the one who gives good gifts because he loves. Often, if not always, unearned. His grace is immense. He gives free gifts. And he says, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. We have to choose to believe it or not. Paul is saying we identify ourselves with these kind of things where we put ourselves under, whether we feel compelled or not, we choose to, if we can, be under a good leader, a good mm-hmm. king. And that is an economic description as much as anything else. Okay. And we are sending it to the church that meets in your home. Home economics. <laughs> what does it mean to be together to take care of one another and be safe under your roof? You know, if you have a house full of welcome, you're going to feed your visitors. You're going to provide for them. You're going to give them a safe place for the night if you need to, or a blanket to sleep under. It's part of what's understood to be hospitality, which itself is economics. How do we give out of our benefit, our largesse, our wealth to others? Because it increases our wealth, not diminishing it. Absolutely. But I don't believe that hospitality is necessarily equivalent to the wealth you own. I would. I I see, again, God's economy here, not just about money. That's the way I'm looking at it. Financial stability. Fair enough. But there is money involved in that, right? You can't be a good host without providing something or providing a room. If you're going to build a house big enough to entertain people, you're paying for that house that is given freely to others. And when he talks about Philemon has a church meeting in his home, he's got a home. It's a big house. He has already recommitted his resources to kingdom purposes. But I don't want people to hear that you can only do these kinds of things if you have a big house. Correct. If you have financial stability, if you have great wealth, because some of the most hospitable people that we have ever known are people living in refugee camps that have very little and offer that to you as you come in to their their place. Absolutely. And so, yes, it is an economic condition, but hospitality is a gift that God has given you through the Holy Spirit. I think that people with the gift of hospitality are able to make much out of little and Mm -hmm. able to provide more than just a meal or a place to stay, they can provide safety and welcome. You're talking about the things that increase value, which Mm -hmm. is what economy is. You take raw materials out of the ground to make clay or to make iron or something like that. You have extracted a raw resource and refined it to become more valuable. You can resell that. Someone else uses that to make something even more valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, increasing wealth through transformation. You take something and make more of it. I think God does the same thing. When you look at the intrinsic value of five loaves and three fishes, mm-hmm. or two fishes, whatever it was, <laughs> when this boy hands over his lunch to Jesus, he is giving something not just of intrinsic value, say a buck fifty for a few biscuits and a couple of fish. He's handing over his hunger. It's not going to be satisfied if he gives it away. Mm. And yet he did because his hospitality was so strong. He knew that it was just needed. So he didn't even think twice about his own personal needs. He gave it to God. God multiplied his hospitality. So that boy's value to the community went up exponentially because God took the fish and the loaves and redistributed them and reproduced them Mm -hmm. out of literally thin air. So God took something. He didn't take it from nothing, although he could have. He multiplies. So God's economy still takes from some, but it doesn't rob to give somebody else at the end of a zero-sum game. He always, always multiplies. 
which amazes me. But yeah. it's like every story you hear about the miracles of Jesus have to do with him making something out of very little or nothing and creating something of value and worth, including in the hearts of the people he talked to and lived with and showed the way forward or healed. Yep. There's always something that transforms, that increases. That's why I look at verse 3, I see more economy. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Grace and peace, we're talking about God grace and God peace. In other words, something only he could. He is the one that owns the mind from which these things are mined. He gives graciously his grace and his peace like no one else can. Right. May God give you means literally a gift. Tax-free. You're not going to pay anything on this thing. You don't have to owe God anything. He's going to give these things because someone of faith willed it to be so, mm-hmm. and they were in the heart and mind of God. Do we pray that way for people? Do we pray that God would give good things, not just to us, but to others, whether or not we ever see the return ourselves? That's a hard prayer to pray. It is. It's being prayed right here by a prisoner. Someone who may never get out of his prison. He didn't know at the time whether he'd ever be physically out of that prison or not. Maybe he wasn't. And yet he prays that God would give his grace, his peace to you. That's economics. Okay, go on. Verse 6, I pray that what we share by believing will help you to understand even more. Then you will completely understand every good thing we share by believing in Christ. What is sharing except extending the utility of something you have and benefiting more than just one? It's another kind of multiplication in my book. If you spread the wealth a bit here, everybody can probably benefit more than the sum of its parts. Mm. You know, Your stomach may be doubly full by eating that entire sandwich, but what if by sharing, two or three stomachs can be full enough to keep going? In the Good News Translation, it says, My prayer is that our fellowship with you as believers will bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing uh-huh. that we have in our life in union with Christ. Looking intently at the blessings that you have in your life or the things that you know God has brought into your life that have encouraged and benefited you is a deeper understanding of the economics of God, if you want to call it that, in his generosity toward us. I get plenty more verses there where I find other economic references <laughs> and you know, verse seven and eight even. I'll wrap up with those because I do want people who are hearing this Bible study to go back there and dig into it. What does Philemon, this story about a slaveholder and a slave himself and a prisoner have to do with the way I live and expect things from God and the way I use what God has given me? Mm-hmm. It's in there, friends. Mm-hmm. I'm encouraging you to dig deep yourself. Well, you even see that Onesimus himself, and even though we don't hear his words in this at all, but we see that he is committed to serving yes. Paul, even. Yeah. Even, as I believe, a runaway slave has gone and been captured and put in prison and now being sent back to his owner. And very well, his owner has the right and authority to punish Onesimus for his runaway status. But I see how Onesimus seems to be, from what Paul is saying, is willing to go back and put himself back under that authority and doing it with grace. He's putting himself under Paul, too, at that point, saying... Paul, for whatever his motivations are, is saying, I need to talk to Philemon about this. Mm-hmm. I need to tell him what's going on. Onesimus has a choice to make again. Do I trust this? Do I trust that God will take care of me or do I run? Paul's going to bring it up. That's very clear. He's writing on behalf of Onesimus and on behalf of himself mm-hmm. to the man who has the power to make life worse for both of them yeah. if he chose to. Sure. And Onesimus, for whatever reason, is trusting Paul with this. He's putting a trust in somebody like we do 
economically, we put money in the hands of a financial advisor, somebody who can invest for us, be our steward, and watch over our investments, our worth, our value mm-hmm. to a society and our own bank accounts. I mean, when you're a trustee for somebody, they put trust in you. Yeah. And the world is trusting that you will not abuse that trust. Paul is taken in trust, the literal intrinsic value of a slave, and said this is nothing compared to the eternal value of the person. And he appeals on both accounts, economics and on spiritual issues, to Philemon to say, look, it benefits you this way, but it could benefit you so much more economically and spiritually if we find a different way here. Verse number eight. Because of the authority Christ has given me, I could be bold. I could order you to do what you should do anyway. It's like a tax. The government says this is the rule. They can take from you what the law says they can. They should not take more than what the law says. But nonetheless, there's an authority there. Paul says he has a kind of spiritual authority that could demand of somebody to give up something Mm -hmm. or to give something to another. He's saying later in this chapter, I don't want to do that, though. I want to appeal to you for what you love and what you value yourself. Everything about this, for me, is about spiritual economy. And I would encourage our listeners to dig into this particular letter and see, what can we learn from a slaveholder, a slave, and a prisoner mm-hmm. about how to handle our resources and how to live in a way that is generous? Yeah, and going on through the Bible study guide that we provide for you, after we do a series of questions that we've come up with, There's also a spot that says applying scripture, and it's writing a verse that has stuck out to you Mm -hmm. in the chapter that you're reading. And just writing that out and challenging yourself to really think through that verse. Ask yourself good questions. Yeah. And does it reveal to you some attribute of God's character that encourages you to walk more closely with him? And that's where we have to wrap it up on this particular study on Philemon. We have a couple more topics like this coming up in the next two weeks. We hope you join us then, and we'll see you tomorrow on Passion Radio. Many of you have given in the past, and that's why you're hearing my voice today. With so much changing in technology and culture, we need you more than ever, so please keep on with us. Maybe even consider a monthly gift of any size through our vision team. Thanks for joining us today. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. one 800 868 2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.